Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Well, welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. My name's Bo. And I'm Peter. And we're going to have a good show for you guys today. It's so cool that we get to do this live, too. We kind of set up the camera, so hopefully they got both of us now. <laughs> <laughs> the one, the great one yesterday was, or last week was kind of funny because it's like, I could barely see you. <laughs> like, if, if I moved in my chair, you were gone. <laughs> so we kind of set it up a little different. You know, this podcast is always talking about the Bible issues of sexual uh, sexuality, um, sexual immorality, sexual morality. Um, we get into a lot of stuff um, in the Bible about these issues, and it's, it's really fun. It's really good. I really enjoy them a lot. I hope you guys do too. If you guys do have any questions, you certainly can ask us questions on these issues, and um, you can do that through the uh, Facebook page at Running Light. Because they can actually, I think, give us some, some, um, um, a comment through Facebook, or they can um, uh, email us too if they want. Peter at runninglight.org or Bo at beau at runninglight.org as well, and um, we can do it that way. Um, so that might be something too. And I'm just trying to get the ducks in a row as I pull up different websites and stuff like that. Um, we were going to try a, a Ustream um, kind of thing, but um, I'm going to see how this works, this Facebook works, one more time. So we'll we'll kind of take it from there and see how it goes. Um, anyway, school started back up, and that means parents are kind of knee-deep with their students about, um, you know, just everything that's going on with them, you know, and uh, I'm sure a lot's happening. There's always that, potential of kids and their struggle with pornography and stuff like that um and uh you know we were able i don't know if i was able to tell them last week that there's two different pamphlets um that covenant eyes puts out one of them called um protecting the family um you can download that it's called unfiltered actually it's called protecting your family a parent's how to guide um and all you really need to do is just go to, you can go to the runninglight.org page, and then you go to the resources in the book section. And if you scroll down, then you'll get to all these Covenant Eye e-books. Um, and Covenant Eyes makes available these books, and we just make them available for people to, to download and check them out. But there's this one called Protecting the Family. That's what we titled it. And then there's another one called Equipped for Parents. Both of those are probably pretty cool reads anyway. Um, you know, it, it's so crazy. People, you know, it seems like the church does just never knows how to react to the issues of sex, man, no matter how you <laughs> slice this. Um, you know, and uh, it, it seems so weird to me a lot of times because the culture is so inundated with all these different sexual things and then obvious and then there's the parent contradictions too of like you know we shouldn't be involved in sexual things but let's indulge in sexual things and there's so much confusion it, it seems like it would just be normal for for you know students today to 
you know, see things on people's phones and, and um, it wouldn't be such a shocker, but still in the church, especially in our culture, church culture, it's still really a difficult thing for many people to talk about. And most people don't want to talk about their own sexuality. So it's very difficult to talk about sexuality <coughs> in general because, because it's hard to talk about sexuality without talking about your own sexuality, you know, <laughs> unless you just blame <laughs> or <Yeah>. just <laughs> criticize someone else's, yeah. you know, um, at some point, especially in parenting, it's it's like you're going to have to come to that uh, kind of how about yourself, you know, talk. And that, that's quite difficult. But um, I encourage the parents out there that uh, you really want to start thinking about that, um, of how to talk to your kids about these issues. Um, do you see sex as positive, you know, as a parent? You know, or do you see it as a negative? That's going to affect probably a kid, I would imagine. Mm. You know, it's just how you view sexuality yeah. um, in general. You know, and there's an apparent, there's a apparent, I want to say, contradictions, it, not just in the world when it comes to sexuality. So not just is the world that seems like very confused over the issue of sexuality because one minute it's like everything's great and go for it and the next minute it's you shouldn't do it or you're busted if you do hmm. um, um and i think that that i think what i'm referring to is you know it's like you know it seems like there's so much that's just about that 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 kind of inflicts adultery um in, in entertainment um and then when someone like tiger woods commits adultery it like becomes this big news. It's like a big shocker. Like, oh my gosh, he committed adultery, and oh my god, he's a sex addict, and and it's like, it, it's just uh, it's just weird, you know, because uh, there's so much of the culture that is saying, hey, you know, um, you know, a one man, one woman for life is not. It doesn't have to be the norm, and um, and it certainly is. That's just a construct of probably a religious background hmm. and that's not really a human construct um and you kind of get that philosophy you know that we need to shake off this this monogamy thing hmm. and and then when someone breaks monogamy <laughs> everybody's upset yeah you know with them on that and i so i'm talking about like those kind of apparent contradictions where it's very confusing you're like okay um, you know, or, or an apparent contradiction is that, you know, it's wrong to, to engage in, um, a variety of sexual experiences, but yet, yet there's an allowance of, um, viewing and giving people the opportunities to experience all kinds of sexual, um, experiences fairly easily in the culture so there's no like massive laws that are like you know hey you know we're going to hold you to this you know and we're going to make sure that there's boundaries so you don't have all this pornography and you don't have all this stuff and you don't have all these chats and you don't have all these opportunities you know we're going to limit all that stuff it's no it's all there you can you can participate all you want in it yeah you know at any age yeah um and yet that apparent contradiction is but it's wrong, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and and I think it is something that throughout the history of 
the church, I would say, since since the church grew to prominence, there would definitely be the difficulty in culture would be the fact that kids, I think, do receive mixed signals so much mm-hmm. where, you know, living in the world, you know, let's say I'm growing up in a secular society where I have obviously all this access to pornographic material on my computer and it's normal and it's accepted and pretty much all my friends do it and then I go to sex education courses in public education system and they say it's okay to experiment and they pass me out condoms and then when I begin to really start exploring my sexuality then all of a sudden then there's this other group that says like well you know experiment now but eventually you're gonna have to stop you know, like when you're a teenager and you're in college age, that's okay. But there are these rules kind of in it where you shouldn't commit infidelity, meaning if you're in a relationship with someone, you shouldn't cheat on them. Um, but then sometimes that is acceptable, but sometimes it's not acceptable. Yeah. But there's a there's a generalized statement that when you get to a certain age, it's not acceptable anymore. So I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure like anyone who saw like a 40-year-old um, going out to the bars and hitting on chicks and having sex with random girls, they'd be like, it's time to grow up. It's time to start a family where there's this like ideology that's going out where it's like that kind of behavior isn't acceptable, but it is, but it's not, but it is. And so you, you, as a kid, it's like, it's impossible to navigate because you're like, well, what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable? You know, what, what should I do and what shouldn't I do? And in what different cultures can I thrive in and what different cultures can't I thrive in? And there's, there's double standards between genders as well. Whereas uh, as a young man, you know, like when I was in the Marine Corps, when you would say something like, oh, well, I've only had like two or three sexual partners, that would actually be looked at as kind of like you're lame. You know, like if you didn't have uh, multiple sexual partners, you were kind of looked at as kind of a lame person. Uh, but for a girl, if you have more than like five, six, seven, eight, nine sexual partners, you're kind of looked at like a slut, you know. So there's there's different like mixed signals being sent to kids from all different angles. And you'd expect in the church that since we have morality and we have defined objective standards of what we should and shouldn't do with our bodies, you would assume that, you know, that fogginess would kind of clear out. But it actually tends to get even more foggy in the church. Where in the church, even, you're getting mixed signals. Where in some churches, not not all churches, but in some more secularized churches, they are saying it's okay to have um, sex before marriage. It's okay to experiment in those ways. It's okay to, um, to be openly gay. It's okay to do these things. And then on the flip side, once you start tearing down, once they tear down all these standards for uh, what the Bible says about sexuality, they're like, okay, well, don't, don't worry when the Bible says don't do these things. But when the Bible says, don't commit adultery, pay attention to that. And so even in the church, they're getting these weird mixed signals too. Yeah, and which, then, which is tough. Which is tough. And then even in conservative seg- settings, they have mixed signals. Where on one cent, uh, th- they're saying like, hey, wait till marriage. It's going to be great if you wait till marriage. Just wait till marriage. Just wait till marriage. Just wait till marriage. But then when a kid starts developing and their hormones start developing and they start becoming looking at girls and liking girls people are like whoa you know like don't don't like girls right. you know don't be attracted to them and don't don't go on dates and don't do this and don't do that and you're like well how am i supposed to get married if i never hang out with girls and how am i supposed to you know engage in sexuality if i never learn how to engage in sexuality and all you're getting is don't 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 and then all of a sudden you're expected to when you get married to enjoy it 
And for females in conservative settings, I would say that their their message is very messed up, you know, where a lot of people will say to young girls in the church of just like, you're not really going to enjoy sex. You know, your husband, you see, he's he's going to be very visual and he's going to be very into it, but you're not really going to be into it. But you just kind of serve him in this. And, you know, this is for procreation. And you just kind of serve him and you do your thing. And that's that's being a good <laughs> wife. And so as a, you see, I mean, you parents and you people who are listening to this, I hope you, as you grew up in this culture as I did, you know what I'm talking about when we're talking yeah. about the mixed signals that you get and how confusing it could be of like, what do I actually do? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, you know, in the culture, there's, of course, you know, from a biblical point of view, um, the culture is going to have mixed signals about sexuality. Um, this is just a given um, biblically. And what I mean by that is even when you look at passages like um, the big sex passage in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter, um, I think it's 19. Let me 18. Yeah. 18. Um, it's the contrast between the sexual prohibitions is with the culture. And so it's already given in that section that the culture is given over to all these sexual things. And it's, and um, you know, the culture's going on all different directions. Yeah. And so God gives these prohibitions of like, Hey, this is not what it was designed for. So don't do these things. Um, and so there's always that impar- apparent, you know, contradiction, um, you know, in the world, because it's all over the place. One minute it says, go do it. The next minute it busts people for doing it. Um, We see so many famous people getting in trouble for their sexual things, yet it's okay one minute if if you do it, um, and everything's available for you to commit adultery, but then it's it's in the in the culture saying um you know monogamy is no big thing nothing's wrong with the other things too um and yet yet it kind of hammers hard the judgment on people that do commit adultery but what i want to kind of talk about a little bit with you peter is that if 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 and there's no doubt that that what you're talking about is the sexual confusion that we have affects us very much when we um, are even in our Christian life mm-hmm. and in our marriages or whatever we are in our singleness. Um, we have a lot of sexual confusion because of how we're raised in the culture and the influences that we have. But I, I don't really just want to blame the culture because the Bible itself is not an easy collection of books to navigate through when it comes to sexuality Mm. you know there is a lot of apparent contradictions within the scripture um, on these issues I was talking to uh, a person the other day I can't remember exactly who but we were uh, uh, or they were discussing with me um the it was kind of like they were helping out in a ministry for uh, a marriage ministry in their church and they were talking and and this lady was talking to me about uh her ministry and she was talking about how she is able to help these people and you know that we all have issues in life and 
and even people in the Old Testament had issues in life and and um, you know things of that nature and I just brought up a little thing like yeah it's it, it's amazing that you know guys these guys struggled with sex trafficking and and she looked at me shocked and she was like what you know what do you mean and I said well you know the ideas of like it, it, they're small passages but when you read like Abraham had concubines hmm. it, it, it's like you look at that and you go like okay what is a concubine and it's like if I pulled out my Unger's Guide to the Bible over there and I pulled out concubines, it's going to talk about um, women that were used um, as as kind of a, a, like a slave um, uh, society, if you will, of women mm. that were used for people um, for sexual pleasures and on some occasions to help in other areas, in, uh, whether it was child rearing or... Um, very, uh, or maybe they took the place of maybe another wife. I think it mentions stuff like that too. But overall, you get the idea that concubines were were pretty much used for you know for procreation, but even if not procreation, just simply for sex. Hmm. Um, and um, so I'm trying to be here really, really liberal <laughs> with my definition, because yeah. the conservative. Uh, uh, definition would be they're just used for sex that's it right um but i'm trying to to balance it out with maybe some more of a liberal look at that yeah but um um you know and i could tell the lady was shocked a little bit that that you know man so these people and, and it's tough because you know when you go down the list of of people in the bible who are considered faithful people but yet their struggle in sexual th things was amazing I mean, to me, I just can't get over it. I mean, I can't ignore it. It it is so blatant to me, the the sexual dysfunction of people like King David or Abraham, Abraham, or Gideon. Um, obviously Samson, but Judah, um, and the list goes on. I mean, uh, Jacob. I mean, there, there's just there's there's amazing sexual dysfunction, uh, and and we always hear that idea that they, you know, these people repented and and this type of thing, but we just don't see those that there. We don't we don't see where Abraham repented of his use of concubines, or David repents of his use of concubines, or any of these guys repented of their use of concubines. Um, I just don't see it in the scripture. Um, and how how do we utilize those scriptures correctly with these young people that are growing up and especially within the church? You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, there's a couple points that you brought up that I want to address that are so good. You know, and mm -hmm. the first one is with these apparent contradictions within the Bible as well as the apparent contradictions that are in the world. And uh, in the world, I would say, I don't think that they're apparent. I think they're just, they're just flat out contradictions. In the Bible, I would say they are apparent and, and I'll get to that. But here's the real issue that I think we're dealing with in our culture. There is an expectation and an insinuation in our culture that these things are just natural. That normal sexuality is natural to us as people 
And that, you know, if I just give people, if I just tell my son when he's 13, like, hey, go off and experiment, then when he turns 22, he's going to be like, you know, I'm done. I'm ready to settle down. I'm ready to start a family. And he starts getting serious with women and he starts getting, uh, then he starts, you know, really seriously courting and then he gets engaged and then he gets married. Then he raises a family and it's all fine, you know, and that's, that's kind of the view of the culture. And then in the church, it's kind of the same way where parents in the church tend to, to fall one way or the other. They either say like, hey, I want to, I want to pull my child out of the world because the culture is what's going to corrupt them. You know, I'm going to pull them out of the world. I'm going to insulate them. They're going to just hang out with me at the house. Um, they're not going to watch TV. They're not going to hang out with uh, kids at public school. They're not going to talk to anyone who's secular. And then they're just going to grow up with these normal, natural, healthy sexual habits. Naturally. It's almost like via osmosis, <laughs> we just become normal quote unquote normal sexual sexually without anyone telling us what normal sexuality is and the the issue that the bible gets to is that we are not normal sexually the bible says that we're born dead in sins and trespasses so the default setting for every human being is sexual immorality that's the default that's what the bible says if you were to take a kid and you were to raise them and you were never to tell him anything about normal sexuality, his default setting is to go into sexual morality in one way or another, mm. whether it be, um, you know, lusting in uh, heterosexual ways or whether it be lusting in homosexual ways or lusting in incestuous ways or whatever. He's going to go, he or she is going to go sexually immoral in some way. And that's what the Bible says. And do we see that happening in the world? I think we do. I think we see that people who are raised without having clear instruction just do what their hormones are telling them to do. And it's never what we would call natural or healthy. There's always some sort of a variation or something wrong with what they choose to do. Yeah. Uh, something harmful is going to happen. So that there's an inherent f a philosophical foundation that we as Christians are looking through when we look at the world or we look at the scriptures, and that is... People are inherently wrong. That's right. Right? That's right. That's right. And y you said it yourself in the beginning where one of the reasons why me as a parent doesn't want to talk to my kid about that is because if I say, hey, son, everybody in the world is born sinners and we're all a mess and our sexuality just goes wrong. The question that my son is probably going to ask me is, well, how does your sexuality go wrong? You know, if you say that everybody does it, then how does yours go wrong? And we don't want to do that. So instead, I would rather take my son and say, son, we live in the church and the church knows what's right and healthy. And the world out there, they're just messed up and they got they got issues. They don't know Christ. And so they go off and they have a lot of weird things happen sexually. But it doesn't happen here. But any kid growing up in the church realizes that the divorce rate in the church is the same as the outside world. People seem just as messed up in their marriages that they do in the outside world. Sexual things happen all the time in the church that probably shouldn't. You know, things happen inside the church all the time. And when they do happen, the church tries to keep it quiet and move to the side. But what you're starting to see is you're starting to see hypocrisy and you're starting to see uh, pollution as a child. And once again, you're getting those mixed signals instead of the truth. And this is what... Uh, you know, with those apparent contradictions in the Bible, I think tell us, which are so very, very important, is because the Bible does not try to bury the sexual failures 
of mm. the what we call the heroes of the faith. Yeah. It doesn't do that. It doesn't shuffle them to the side. It is blatantly clear about the sexual failures of the early church, uh, of the early patriarchs and the early founders of the church and founders of Judaism. It's very, very um, transparent in those issues. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of the Bible is it's not only transparent about what they did, but it's equally transparent about what it led them to. So when you look at David, if someone were to just read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and read about the life of David, I don't think anyone would get to the end of that book and be like, I really want to emulate David. I think concubinage and treating women like they were pieces of meat really worked out for David in the long run. I think it really helped him out as a, as a king and as a father and as a husband. No, you would read it and you'd be like, oh my gosh, this dude's life was brought to ruins through his treatment of women. He turned out to be a bad father to his daughter Tamar. He ended up being a bad example to his sons leading to a son like the one, the one son that raped Tamar and then Absalom who chose to kill him as a result. And then Absalom, after he killed somebody who raped his daughter, you're like, man, that dude must know what's right sexually. Mm -hmm. He then goes in and has sex with all of his dad's concubines. This is David. Which is, this is David, you know? And so when I'm reading this as a kid, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't want to emulate David at all. You know, there's something wrong about this dude. He went a wrong way. And so what needs to happen then is a parent needs to sit down with their kid and they need to talk to their kid about it, which is why the methodology of insulating your child will never work. It's not that I'm against homeschooling or anything like that. Right. But if you think that homeschooling is the answer to keeping your child sexually pure, you're living in a dream world. Well, and the problem, and the problem I see is that many people in the church, in our evangelical churches, they somehow have missed so much of what the Bible talks about sexually. Mm. It, it, and it's like, it's so weird because you ask a parent, hey, would you want your kids to watch movies on the Bible? They're going to say, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but they, but do you really want your, <laughs> want your kid to watch a movie on the Bible? Like, do you really go through Gideon in the story of Gideon? Mm. Okay. You know, the, the sword of the Lord, you know, the, the whole Gideon story, right, of, of the judge who conquers the, the enemies. Mm. But do you get to the end of Gideon's life, to where Gideon has all these women, mm. where he's worshiping idols, mm. where now, you know, he's back into idolatry. Mm. And part of that idolatry is including his many women. Mm. And that out of all of his kids, he has one kid by one woman who, who it says was a slave woman, slave mm. concubine. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Gideon is having sex with a woman who's a slave. Mm. So he's oppressing women. Mm. So he's a woman oppressor, you know, having sex with her. And one of his children kills all of his other sons. Mm. You know, it's just radical, the story, you know. Um, but it's it, it's hard to for for many people just don't get that they just don't read it they don't see it mm. um, um, and 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 I don't think they know how to answer those questions if they were to bring it up they're so fearful of mm. their kid rejecting the Bible yeah and I think I think another reason why they don't want to talk about it is because the answers that I've heard 
is either A, people will gloss over those entirely. They won't even talk about them. Mm -hmm. But the only answer that I've ever heard of someone like tackling that right on is just being like, well, you know, like, you know, God chooses the least. He chooses the worst. And these dudes were a mess. And that's why God chose them. And, and that's true. But when you read the Old Testament, here's what you're looking at. You're looking about the best that humanity has to offer. That's the best. You know, it's not like God purposely chose David because he's like, I'm going to look for the worst piece of garbage in the country <laughs> and I'm going to raise him up to be king. He found the best. David was the best. It tells all the time that he was a man after God's own heart. But even the man after God's own heart was a mess. And what does that prove? We're all a mess. If the best that Israel had to offer was that big of a mess, then obviously the rest of Israel was even worse. And if Israel was the chosen nation of God, that means the rest of the nations on earth were way worse. You know, if you read anything about your ancestors or my ancestors, you're going to see that you have some jacked up people in your family tree. You know, you have some weird stuff going on sexually with our ancestry because right. that's just what humans do. We go apart from God. What does Paul say in Romans 3? There is no one good. No, not one. None seek after God. That's his point. No one seeks after God. Not me. Not you, nobody. None of us have it right sexually. None of us have it right in any other area of our of, of our lives. We are all, uh, as Martin Luther put it, we are all curved in on ourselves. We're all aimed at our own destruction because we're fallen from God, and that's the point of Christianity. And if that's true, if that if what the Bible is saying is true, if some if our natural inclinations are wrong. That means that the only way that somebody is going to get right is through intense amounts of re-education. That's why throughout the New Testament, the biblical authors, yeah, they do say that you need to get saved. You need to have a relationship with God. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that changes us. Yes, but in all those passages, Romans 12, Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, all the passages about the new man and growing in God, they all have the same phrase, renew the spirit of your mind. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There has to be something that happens to the way I think that has to change in order for me to change as a human being. Because if I get saved, but I think that doing these things sexually is the right thing to do, it's going to be dang near impossible for me to change those things because I think I'm right. It's only when the conviction happens where someone's like, that's not correct that I could then start working and moving towards correct ways of living. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if you're married. Uh, you know, I'm married. I have a wife. You know, I'm not having sex. You know, I was a virgin when I got married. Me and my wife both, we were virgins when we got married. But I cannot look at my, you know, kid one day and say, your, your mom and your dad did it right, son. You know, we never, never did anything sexually wrong. You know, that's just untrue. Me and her go off of God's desire for sexuality all the time. Maybe not physically like a lot of people, but mentally and in our hearts, we're wrong. We treat each other selfishly. We lust after other people. That's just what's in us. And, that, and that's an important point is that to, to, to really deal with some of the, the confusion that we have in the culture, you have to as as a parent especially you have to show that vulnerability um and that's what you're talking about is being able to say hey you know what i haven't done this perfect 
and um, just as these guys in the Old Testament certainly weren't perfect, the women as well. Hmm. Um, you know, we're not perfect either. You know, and Christianity is not saying that you're going to be perfect in every aspect of your life, that we are striving and teaching your kid what sanctification means, hmm. that it is that process in the work of the Holy Spirit. It is, a, it, it is a daily renewing of the mind. It is a Colossians 3 of fixing your, your mind on the things of the Lord, hmm. um, you know, those type of things. And that, and that it's beholding Christ. And as we behold him, we want to become more like him. So we give him more of our lives and we even give him our sexuality hmm. and say, hey, it's no longer about us anymore, but it's about you. You know, and that's what that's what Christ has done. He's made a new door and opened a new door for us to to enter in. He's given us the power to go through that door mm-hmm. um, to walk in that way. So, um, you know, that's why we love Jesus, because there's forgiveness, there's acceptance and and there's the empowerment for change mm-hmm. that is in Christ. Um, and so, you know. Being able to to show a vulnerability to your kid, and to me, that's what the Old Testament's doing. I mean, that's what I love about it. Mm. It's, it's, it's showing these guys ultimate vulnerability so that when you read it, you go, man, these guys really, really are not together. Mm. You know, that God is working with a a mash group, not the elite, you know, because there is no elite. You know, he is working with the 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 rough and 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 there's parts of their lives that certainly seemed very um, turned over to God. And that there were other parts of their life that seemed like they weren't really turned over to God. Yeah. And and that really can relate to a lot of people. Mm. And as a parent, you can use those things as teaching tools you know, so much in a kid's life to say, hey, they don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. And but what we learn from this is that God does want to deal with these these areas of our life, Mm. you know, um, and not ignore them. You know, why 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 is it that the Bible is so filled with sexual analogies and and stories and why do you think that is, Peter? Personally, what I believe, and um, there might be some Christians out there who would disagree with me of why. They might have a better reason than me. But personally, the reason why I think God does this is because within the relationship of marriage and uh, sexually romantic relationships is the deepest moat of human passion and intimacy that exists where, you know, I'm not a father yet, you know, but even talking to a lot of fathers and stuff and the feelings and the emotions and the passion that they have for their children, it is deep, it is personal, it is very, very intimate um, because literally part of your DNA is in that child. There's parts of you in him or her. But with your wife, you know, it's totally different because you chose your wife in unique ways. You didn't really choose your kids. You chose to have them sometimes, you know, like sometimes there's accidents, but, you know, for the most part, you you may have chosen to have your kids, but you didn't choose what came out. You you weren't able to maneuver or manipulate their personalities. They come out as they're going to come out. You got no power over that whatsoever, (laughs) and they're going to do what they're going to do. 
But when it comes to marriage, there's a choosing. There's an election that happens where there's a mutual decision of choosing one another and dwelling one another with one another. And there is a passion there in romance that is that dwarfs any other kind of love that I've ever experienced. And then when you get into the relationship uh, of marriage and you have sex, you have intimacy of literally uh, the man going into his wife very physically and dwelling with her in that in that place, that is that's the most intimate you're going to get with another human being, just, just period. And so when God is trying to describe, right, God who is immaterial, right, in John chapter 4, Jesus says God is spirit, right? He's immaterial. He's outside of his universe. Um, he's omnipresent. He's, I can't understand that. How can someone be everywhere at once and yet be on a throne in heaven? Like, how does that happen? How does that work? He's omnip- not omnipotent. He can do whatever he wants. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Um, he's outside of time. Everything is present to God. He is eternally past and he's eternally present. And he's eternally future. That's, that blows my brain. I don't understand any of that. And God says, that God that created everything that's beyond everything says, I want to have a relationship with you. And as a human being, you like, what kind of relationship would that possibly look like? And so God has to use metaphor to try to get us to understand where he's coming from and so when god says i love you a lot of people are like well what does that even mean you know is it like when i say i love my dog you know is that kind of what it is that god's looking at us like his dogs he's like man you're my little you're my little pets you know and i love you guys or is he like our boss you know or is he like what kind of what does he mean when he says i love you and so god says okay let me let me explain it to you it's like when a man loves a woman and then you get into like Ezekiel 16, for instance, yeah. where God starts describing his love for his people. And he's like, I, I looked at you and I saw you and you were naked and you were beautiful and your time was the time for love. And I came and I clothed you with my robe and I put my wing over you and I entered into a covenant with you. And, and when I'm reading that, I'm like, oh, like that's how God loves me. Like, like when I saw my wife for the first time, and I, and I loved her and I wanted to be in a relationship with her and I desired her and I was passionate for her. And yeah. all of a sudden, the puzzle pieces are starting to come into place. Yeah, and God wants to indwell you. He wants to indwell <laughs> us. And <laughs> you're like, radical. what does that mean? You know, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit's in me and he's one with me? That's crazy. You know, like, how does that even happen? How does that work? And then I enter into a marriage with my wife where she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And I understand that, like, she's like a part of me. That when she's sad, like it impacts me. And when something happens to her, I feel like I take it personally. And then again, we go and we have sex with one another. And I literally go into her and we literally physically become one. And I'm like, oh, like this is the spiritual metaphor that God has given me. And it begins to comprehend in my heart. I begin to understand it. And so if you think about it, if that's true. If this is God's giant metaphor to humanity, and then, uh, of course, out, out of marriage comes children, which God also describes himself as our father. So you can understand as that as well. But if that's true, then no relationship would be more guarded by God and no relationship would be more attacked by the devil. And so because of that throughout the Bible, God would use that as a metaphor and he would talk about it constantly because it would be on assault by the world by Satan and by our own flesh all the time. 
Mm. We as fallen human beings would want to pervert it more than anything else because we're fallen away from the image of God. We, d- we rejected his leadership in the garden and we decided to try to become gods like ourselves. Um, so because of that, of course, we're going to attack his view and purpose for marriage and sexuality. And of course, Satan would obviously want to target that more than anything else because of his rebellion against the father as well. Mm. You know, so that that's my personal reasoning of why I believe it is that way. Yeah, and what what I find so important about this is that I, is that there is a what you're talking about is theology. The reason why we think about sex the way we do is theology. It's not political. It's not cultural. Mm. Um, it's not it's not quote scientific. Those aren't the reasons why we choose to think about sexuality the way we do Mm. Um, as Christians. It is theology. It is the study of God. It is what God says about a particular subject. Mm. And we believe that to be true. Mm. And so we follow. Now, now, when you take that understanding for parents out there, when you take that understanding that sex is about theology, from our perspective as Christians, it mm. is it, it, that that's how we need to be talking to our kids about sexual things. Mm. We have to we have to if, if you take sex out of theology mm. with your students and you're just talking to them about sex like uh, uh, a psychologist. Or someone who studies the brain or someone who's just uh, studying sex and the culture or or talking about sex in a political uh framework mm. you're doing no no different service to that student mm. than someone at their school mm. you know you're just you're just giving your own opinion of those things yeah but the difference that you can make as a parent is that you have a theology. Mm. There is a theology of why sex should be looked at the way the Bible says. Mm. And it has everything to do with God. Mm. And if, if you don't grab that part, if you don't understand that and you're not communicating that, to me you're doing a massive disservice to that kid. So for instance, if my kid goes out and views pornography, the talk that I'm going to have with my kid is not about how many porn sites there are out there in the world or porn sucks or porn's not fun or because because that is that can be you can argue those topics all over the place and that's what the world does is they argue um, you know, if someone who's arguing against our culture's patriarchy is going to say pornography is not good because it shows a male dominance over women. And that's going to be their example mm. of why it's not good. So you can go in all those different directions with your kid, but they're just going to get, again, different opinions of that in their life. Mm. Um, but if you don't tell them, well, you know, the reason why pornography is not good is because God's got something better uh, for sex. Mm. He has a different purpose for sex than what pornography is displaying. 
And that's why. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about God. You know, let's talk about what the Bible says about what God says about sex. Is God for sex, son? Do you think God's for sex? And his son goes, well, no. You know, because he thinks he's busted. He just, yeah. got, he, he just got busted viewing porn. Yeah. He knows you're mad, you know, <laughs> right? So you ask him that question, you know, is God for sex? He's going to go, no, 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 I don't think so. And you're going to go, no, no, son, man, God loves sex. You know, let's turn to the second page of the Bible and let's go over it. And he's going to go, whoa, dude, God like told him to have sex. He told Adam and Eve to have sex. Go in to produce. You know, he's all for it. You know, yeah, you know, I mean, and you can you can go through these things, you know, um, uh, of God's, you know, being pro sex. And there's many things. That's another podcast for us. My brain's starting to go over into (laughs) into those things, but it would take too long. But but, you know, that then you would impact the kid. Right. The kid would be like, whoa, okay, so. My world's being rocked here, you know. My 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 parents are saying, you know, pornography. God's got something better, and that God's pro sex, you know. And then you maybe talk about, well, you know, son, do you know about, you know, what what sex is a picture of, like why God created sex, you know, why does He want, you know. What do you think the reasons are? He might go, oh, maybe it's to have kids. Okay, that's good. You know, you know, um, you know, why do you think that's important to God? You know, and then and then get into that and talk about, um, you know, how God desires for his people to to actually produce and to experience the creative work, Mm. you know. And why do you think that's so neat, you know, so cool? You know, um, but there's other things. Maybe, maybe say, hey, do you think, like, do you know that, you know, if he's an older teenager, you might say, hey, do you know that, you know, that women have, like, there's pleasure in sex? And they might go, yeah, you know, that's true. Well, why do you think God would want (laughs) there to be pleasure in sex? Do you think God could have made it where it's not pleasurable? Mm. Where it feels like cactus? (laughs) You know, sandpaper? Yeah. You know? Well, why did he create it with pleasure? You know, and let's talk about where God says he's a pleasurable God. Hmm. You know, and that that intimacy with him should be pleasurable. You know, he even tells us that when we pray, which is a, a sign, a form of intimacy, it's so that our joy may be complete. Hmm. So God wants to experience us to experience joy and intimacy with him. So maybe when he created man and woman, he wants them to experience joy in their intimacy. So he created us with pleasure sensors, <laughs> you know. Whoa, that's a trip. I never, yeah, so God's pro. So God's not against sex, you know. And But, y- you know, you go in those different paths. Y- does that make sense? Yeah. You know, you're going in a different route. Theology is dictating the conversation. You know, it's a, everything's about God and it's about you asking questions to your kid and showing them in scriptures where things are at and showing them even those examples of where the people in the Old Testament really, really got distorted. 
you know, even the the faithful people like King David or Abraham who or Gideon mm. who chose to have concubines and sex slaves and how they their their the sinful nature is that strong son and daughter that even even with God on your side and you trusting in God, you have a strong sinful inclination and it needs to be put to death, mm. you know, and and this is what the Bible's teaching, you know. So, you know, theology should dictate conversation. You know, if you lack theology in those conversations, then I don't see it being any different than any kind of secular conversation on sex, which, you know, to me can go in just any direction, Right? You know, and that's the that's the great problem, because the thing about it is, is that we human beings as a species are unique um, among any other species on Earth. And the fact that we must be educated, we must be mentored. Other animals just figure it out. You know, they don't need someone to explain it to them. But human beings are not that way. You need to teach your kid everything from walking to talking to uh, making friends to not lying to doing the right thing to getting a job everything in the human life is dictated and here's the thing the way that we are educated is through people talking to us it is not through self-education you didn't learn anything yourself you have to be taught and at school and in the world and through the movies that they watch and the music that they listen to you better believe that your kids are getting an education and if your voice is not speaking up as well then the only education that they have is through the world. That's it. Yeah. You know, you can give them the Bible all you want. You can tell them to read books all you want, and there's nothing wrong with books. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. You can tell them to go to seminars. You can tell them to go to uh, conventions, sermons, whatever. But if you aren't talking to your kid, all of it's for nothing. Yeah. You know, that's just one more voice in the void. You know, you you need to be helping your 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 child understand these things. Yeah, and uh, what greater thing than to understand God? Mm. Hey, I, let's switch gears. I had a question the other day from another lady um, who said, hey, she pulled me outside of this like conference thing, and she said, hey, I have a question for you. Um, can men really, uh, can addicted men to pornography really change? Hmm. You know, and... Um, a lot of assumptions in that question. <laughs> yeah, what, what are some of the assumptions? So th the first assumption is that a man can be addicted to pornography. Right. And um, we, we've talked about this before on the on the podcast. And I had a great conversation with the men at the Tuesday group a couple weeks ago. Where we were talking about the word addiction and um, what it means. And the, the, the interesting thing is, is that in the Bible, it never uses the word addiction. In the Bible, all sin is slavery. That's what Jesus says. All sin is, sin is bondage. And right. Creates he he a, who sins is a slave of sin. That's right. So if you sin once, you're a slave to it. You're a slave to it, and there's a bondage that happens. But Jesus used that as a blanket statement. He's not like certain sins are bondage, but certain sins aren't. You know, If you lie, that's not a bondage. But if you eat, that's a bondage. You know, He never got into that. He's not like, oh, drinking is a bondage, but pride is not. You know, in Jesus' mind, 
all sin is bondage. So there wasn't like there wasn't like there you know you, you struggle with sexual thoughts, so you're sexually addicted. Yeah. But those Pharisees, those prideful people, they're not addicted. They're not. There's no bondage there. You know, right. like he he never made that distinction. And now the word addiction came from modern Western science, where we started understanding that when you drink a certain amount uh, and you drink for long enough your body begins to develop a natural dependency upon that substance. Um, and so the chemicals in your brain, they're, they're not functioning right unless that substance is in your body mm. to such an extent that if you stop drinking cold turkey and you're enough of an alcoholic, you'll die. You know, like that's, that's pretty radical, you know, yeah. uh, or with cocaine or methamphetamines or with, uh, you know, heroin or whatever drug you want to put out what we've discovered the reason why we call it addictive mm. is because your body becomes dependent on that as a substance now here's the issue that we get into when we get into pornography i wouldn't classify porn that way because with pornography you're not going to have a come down from porn and what i mean by that is one of the devastating things about in putting something ingesting something foreign into your body is when you go high you got to come down and it's going to be devastating to your body on a biological level. Porn is not that way. Uh, another reason is because you're not going to have withdrawals from porn. You know, I've stopped viewing porn for, for I think it was two or three years of my life. I didn't view any porn and I didn't masturbate. Um, I didn't, I don't remember ever, you know, having someone lock me in my room and having shakes and shivers and throwing up and, Nothing like that. No one had to put me in a tank, you know, to like sober up or something like that. And I was viewing porn pretty regularly before I quit. So in that in that form, I would say it's not the same thing. My body doesn't have a dependency on pornography the same way a heroin addict has a dependency on heroin. It's just not the same thing. So what I asked the men is I said, why do you think we use the word addiction? And we talked about it for a while, what we landed on was what me and Bo talk about often. And that is because we're dealing in, uh, with language that we're trying to shock people. That's, that's the real issue. We're trying to shock people into believing a certain thing. We understand that the word sin in our culture just doesn't really pack a punch anymore. <laughs> it just doesn't. And Jesus' day had packed a punch where Jesus was able to say, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And people are like, yep, we believe you. Mm. you know, and nowadays when I say anyone who sins is a slave to sin, People are like, really? It's kind of an extreme example, isn't it? I mean, I've seen slavery. You know, I've I've heard, I've read stories. I've read Uncle Tom's Cabin. I've, I studied it in school. It seems like slaves had it pretty rough. You know, are you really saying that me, you know, struggling with pride is the same thing as somebody as say the Israelites under the Egyptians? And Jesus say, yeah, it's that oppressive. It's that bad. You know, so in Jesus' day, sin packed a punch. In our day. Not really. When I use the word sin, people don't really hear anything too severe. I remember just a couple years ago, um, first of all, took place in Sin City, which should show you something right off the bat. But I remember you, Bo, on, on Halloween, you showed an image of a, I think it was a casino or it was a strip club or something like that on the Las Vegas Boulevard. 
that said seven nights of sin, you know, and it had the seven deadly sins listed of like a gluttony night. And, right. uh, and, and everyone, awesome. yeah, no one's like <laughs> driving by like, oh my gosh, you know, that's right. bondage, you know, that's slavery. And, you know, like people protesting outside and being like, you're promoting slavery in there. You know, like no one said that. Mm. People, when they drive by, they're like, yeah, that's awesome, you know. Sin, that's awesome. It's tantalizing. It pulls you in. You know, there's no one looking at it like that. So because of that, Christians trying to create um, an impact on our world, we've adopted language to try to get people to care. Mm. Um, And that's where it came from. People adopted this word pornography as addiction to get people like, oh, my gosh, like it's a real issue. And it's funny that it it is brought up like this because I remember as a kid, um, I always remember this story because it was so weird to me even then where somebody, I think you'll probably remember this better than me because you were an adult when this happened. Somebody like either committed assault or killed somebody and they used the Twinkie defense. Do you remember this? No. It was back when I was like five. So this is like 95, 94 time era. Somebody committed like a huge crime and they used what they called the Twinkie defense and they won. And that's why it was such a huge backlash where they said like, my client is not guilty for what he did because he was on Twinkies. And they showed in the brain how the effects of sugar are (laughs) like the effects of cocaine. And they're like, see, sugar is just a couple atoms off of cocaine. And they like, they made this defense and it, and it became like this huge joke over time. What was it called? The Twinkie defense. No joke. Look it up, man. It's funny. looking this up. And there was actually, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it had uh, Kramer from Seinfeld in it that made fun of it. And the whole point of the movie was this dude, scammed a bunch of people out of tons of money and they used the they used the sugar defense and did you find it yep it is, you're right wait yep it was a uh the twinkie defense is a <laughs> de- derisive label for an improbable legal defense it is not recognized uh it is not a recognized legal defense um, so that is even uh, like an urban see. dictionary byword yeah, yeah, for yeah, it yeah, yeah, it totally. became so famous uh, let's see what is the uh, what is the origin of this thing? <laughs> <sighs> okay, something that had become consuming junk food and sugar-laden soft drinks like Coca-Cola as an uh okay, so I think you're right. I think it's about people that that use the defense that sugar jacks their brain <laughs> and um that's why they do what they do. Yeah. So they don't have liability in what they're doing because sugar has messed with their brain. Yeah. And the point that I was trying to make to the men and I th- I think they all grabbed it was this the idea of when you use terminology like that, there's dangerous repercussions. Mm. There's dangerous repercussions that come from that. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like, okay, so am I, am I held accountable anymore for you know viewing pornography? I mean, couldn't I just say like, well, I was exposed to it when I was 13. I've been an addict ever since. I mean, if, if, if pornography, viewing porn is the same as taking a hit of heroin, that would be like a 13-year-old stumbling across a bag of heroin needles when he's 12 years old and being like, I don't know what this is and injecting it in him. Are you really saying it's that it's the same thing? And when you start using terminology like that, that's a big implication. That's a really big implication that you're making. Uh, The second thing is like, okay, once again, when you have somebody that is addicted to a substance like that coming off of it is going to be damaging to them. And there's like different methodologies that you have to use like a detox like a detox and even some addictions you have to taper off you can't quit cold turkey like meth or alcohol 
Um, and so the issue is like with porn, is it the same way? Do I have to taper off? Can I quit cold turkey? Is it going to have negative biological impacts on me? Am I accountable if I continue to view it? Or is it just like my addiction acting out? Or, mm -hmm. you know, like there's a lot of different implications when you use words like that. And there's a, and, and what gets me is too, is there's a lot of different, sometimes I think people are categorized as a porn addict that are, it would be like labeling someone who drinks, um, you know, uh, just moderately as an alcoholic. Mm. Like if someone's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if someone says like, hey, I drink uh, a couple beers a day. You, oh, that's, you're, you're an alcoholic, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, you know, but if you say to someone, hey, I watch, I watch porn once a day. That person who you're talking to is going to go, oh man, you're a porn addict. Yeah. Because think about the terminology that Bo's talking about. I could say like, hey, I, I, I drink a, a beer like once a week or whatever and people probably be like okay you're not an addict but if i said oh i i, I do a I do a, a line of coke every week <laughs> like you got a problem like that's an issue you know like you can't yeah. you can't just say oh i do a line of coke a week or oh I, you know i smoke some meth every week but yeah it's I not a big deal i shoot some week. heroin once a week you know like there's a different term now like when that filters into someone's brain because of what that substance is when i say that People are like, oh my gosh, you yeah. know. So what? So what? What the culture is doing is like through its 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 um, pseudoscience mm -hmm. psychology. You know, it's trying to decipher what addiction is. Yeah. Uh, it's trying to measure things and say, well, that's not really addiction. That that kind of is addiction. <laughs> but but you're saying biblically speaking, you know, we're all a slave to whatever. That's right. And and here's the cool thing about what the Bible saying. All sin is bondage, but not all sin is addiction. There's a difference. And so me as a minister, I'm not going to look at somebody who's smoking meth every day and say like, oh, well, this is just like in my struggle with pride, you know, and let's deal with this bondage together, brother. You know, like yeah. there's something biological happening in that dude that if I don't get him the right medically tested stuff to help him out with that addiction... I might kill the dude, you know, like literally I might kill him trying to give him right counsel if I treated the same thing. Addiction is different than bondage, right? When someone is in bondage to to alcoholism or to, uh, to uh, heroin addiction or something like that, that, that is a bondage in the same way that pride is a bondage. But there's an addiction with that. There's a biological component that goes along with that that needs to be dealt with. And so my point to the men on Tuesday was just like, okay, if I, if I treat porn that way, though, that there's this biological thing that we have to deal with first before we get into the heart issue, I might be clouding the issue. Because biblically, as a Christian, what I'm saying is that the most important thing is to get to the heart of the issue. But unfortunately, if I treat it like an addiction, it clouds the issue, and I may never get to the heart issue. I may never get to the pro point where I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about the actual heart of why you do that. Yeah, like, and, and that's that's the big thing. That's what I've always noticed is when people are dealing with sexual things, there's they're always dealing with something underneath. Yeah. There's always underlying where, you know, a heroin addiction can be that person took heroin or that person, you know, and all of a sudden they're, they're chemically dependent mm -hmm. on the heroin. Yeah, or like some people I know in my family that they had injuries and they took prescription meds and they got addicted to those things where it's not like there was some vacuum in their life and they're, they're you know, something like that. It was just literally they have 
tons of pain. You know, they're in pain all the time and they, they get addicted to morphine that the doctors give them or fentanyl or any of these other things that they're issued. You it's know? kind of interesting. Some people say that like porn addiction is, is, is like an anesthetic as well. It's like, and, and, and I think that's true in some people's cases yeah. where, you know, where people, uh, and when I'm saying porn addiction, um, uh, I have a couple thoughts. I don't want to, I'm kind of rabbit trailing here, but um, I guess my first point is that, um, is that um, there is such a thing when someone is using pornography um, and you have to figure out why they're using it. And I don't, I don't think we like some of the answers. Like some of the answers are like, if someone says, well, because I like it, well, no, you got something wrong with you, brother. Like, you know, there's something you're trying to, there's like, you know, you're in pain and you're, that's why you're viewing porn. Yeah. And you're like, what? I'm in pain. Like I never understood that myself. Yeah. Because I think just growing up in Southern California, hanging out at Venice Beach and seeing, uh, you know, women all over the place, I never, I, I never thought there was a pain in me. <laughs> like, I didn't, I, you know what I mean? It, it yeah. wasn't like, it wasn't like I was like, man, my life sucks. I'm gonna go, you know. I think that girl's beautiful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not, a, it's not exactly a segue. Y yeah, it, it, you know, it, and with with pornography uh, or the or the like. Um, it could just be that you think that that you know there is a a beautiful feeling that you get from it, yeah. and um, and that's tough. It's like why do you listen to that song? Mm. You know why do you listen to the song that you 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 enjoy so much? Yeah, you know, and and if you say well because uh, I like it, it kind of man, it reminds me of cool stuff. I, you know, I, I, I like, I like that, you know, I have good feelings or I have sad feelings, but I enjoy that. Well, no, you're covering up pain. Yeah. You know, it, it just seems like it would be a really weird segue. It'd be really weird. And another important thing that you just brought up that's really key and crucial is the difference between porn and other addictions is that there is a right and healthy way to enjoy sexuality that everyone would agree with. But the problem is if I use the word addiction... Well, I mean, is it like in uh, someone who's recovering from alcohol addiction? You know, would you say to someone recovering from alcohol addiction of like, oh, it's okay to have a couple beers a week? You know, you're, you're recovered. There is a right you way know? to have heroin. <laughs> you know, and there's, oh, there's a <laughs> right way. You know, like you, you abused heroin, brother. You know, but let, I'm going to show you the right way to use it, man. And it's great, you know. And so when I say porn's an addiction, it's like, well, is it wrong for me to get aroused with my wife? You know, are you going to sit down with me and be like, Peter, why do you have sex with your wife? Like, well, because I love her? No, man, you're sick. You know, you got a sickness, and we got to deal with this. Right, you know? you're covering something. You're covering something. There's something going on in your life. And it's like it, when you use the word addiction, you demonize an issue. And that's a problem. You know, that's a real problem. It can be, certainly, in this issue of pornography. Yeah. Like, the, I was reading in this book, and for those that are watching this, this is finally free. And I like the book, by the way. Um, um, uh, I, I just ordered a few for our group. Um, but um, even though there's some things here, that there's some things that I always go, oh, I don't know. But uh, overall, I really like it. Yeah. I think it's a cool book. But he talks about this guy, Jamie, who's married to this, this, this lady, Alyssa. And they had a dating relationship. 
Um, he always liked to view porn. She kind of she kind of came to find out that he liked it, but she liked him, so she stayed in the relationship, right? Uh, it says Alyssa knew about Jamie's porn, didn't like it, but he, she she assumed porn was just the normal thing for guys, and she was a bit uncomfortable when Jamie began to ask her to watch pornography with him. Um, but she wanted to make him happy, so she forced herself to get used to it. Um, they eventually gets married. Um, uh, Alyssa was shocked how quickly Jamie lost interest in her. He just became more interested in pornography as the marriage went on. Um, uh, Alyssa wanted out of the marriage, and he kept wanting to view porn pornography over and over. Um, um, they now had kids, okay? Um, she tried counseling, um, but he didn't want to do it. He ended up creating a, a uh, man cave in the basement where he uh, lost his job. He ended up spending all of his time in his man cave, uh, and he ha has a collection now of porn movies that he just loves to watch and collect. And um, he no longer has sex with her anymore, it says. And, and they, she ends up finally divorcing him. Uh, Jamie, it says, is now in his 60s. He doesn't have a job and lives with his elderly father. All he does day after day is look at porn. He doesn't care about his work, ex-wife, or grown daughters. This is where this guy's at. Now, if there's any person who's like a porn addict, <laughs> right? Yeah. This guy would be the guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. right? And 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 you know me and me and Peter are, are not have never experienced this. Hmm. I mean we have to be honest. We've never experienced this type of um, what 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 we could call addictions hmm. um, in this case, you know. But but still with this guy Jamie, you know w there's so many other issues with this guy. See, it's not like heroin where you go, oh, man, dude, this guy's on heroin. It's ruined his family. We got to deal with this heroin. You know, heroin's the substance or alcohol's the, the substance that's creating the problem. Porn's not creating the problem per se. It's that this guy's, this guy's got all kinds of issues going on. Hmm. You know, that it would be interesting to sit down with him and talk to him about it. Yeah. And but he does use pornography very similar to that of someone using a substance. Yeah. And, I mean, couldn't I come up with other examples of people who destroyed their family dynamic with other sins? Yes. You know, let's take, let's take vanity, for instance. What if, uh, what if there was a, a, a man or a woman who is just so into their physical appearance, so into their looks that they just push everyone away and all they're doing is exercising, getting plastic surgery and stuff like that. They're using all their money and they just like, they just become obsessed with it and consumed with it. Even in their old age, they're always getting work done to look younger, to look more vibrant. And it's like, could that tear apart a family? Well, yeah, you know, absolutely could. Or how about uh, pride? What if there's someone who's just so eaten up by their pride and their controlling nature that they push everyone in their family away and be like, yeah. And, the, the the really cool thing about what you said, Bo, is that there are other issues in this dude's life that need to be looked at. And when we as Christians don't understand the severity of the word sin anymore, 
and we have to pull out words like addiction or behavioral trauma or something like that to get people to care, we're at a really dark place in the church. Okay, because mm. if the only way I could get someone to care about their behavior is if I say you're addicted, that's an issue. Man, if somebody's being eaten up with pride, if someone's being eaten up with jealousy, um, lying, stealing, whatever, and I have to say, like, you're a klepto in order to get their attention, as opposed to saying, like, dude, you're stealing your sin of lying, your sin of stealing, it's breaking up this family. We need to deal with it. You're in bondage to this sin. We need to deal with this thing. Then there's a problem with our hearts before God. Mm. And here's the real issue. The reason why this is such a, such a huge thing for Christians to grab is because the center and source of all sin and all bondage that the Bible says is our, is our rebellion against God, our disunity from the one that we were created to be with. That's the issue that you and I have as human beings. That's where all of our problems come from is our disunity with God. We are born in disunity with him and we can only be redeemed by what Christ did for us. That's, that's the point. And when we're talking about these different sin issues and how damaging and how horrible they could become, if the only way I could get your attention is it's an addiction, then the only reason why you're stopping is because you're an addict. And this is what I mean by that. You're no longer stopping for the glory of God. You're stopping because of the chemical repercussions and the, the biological whatevers and you want to keep your family and you want to do this. And so when I'm using the word addiction, that's a very physical, temporal word that I'm using. Mm. And it has nothing to do with the spiritual implications. Where if I was, again, if I was dealing with a heroin addict, I'm like, yeah, we need to get to the spiritual implications, but we need to safely get you off of this substance. Right? That's, that's one of the biggest priorities right now. Where with a porn addict, with a porn addict, as, we, as people would call them, I'd be like, no, like, there's an issue. That's a sin before God. Right? That's the issue. And we need to talk about how to glorify God in your life. And that's what we need to talk about right now. I don't need to sit down with you and come up with a detox plan. You know, that's not the problem in your life. Is there a I porn detox? I hope. I I'm sure you could yet. Google it. I'm sure you could find it. I mean, the more that watch we're it, bending this way. Watch it three times a day. Yeah. Next time. <laughs> then Twice you need it. a day. Yeah. <laughs> right? There's got to be like a weird, you know, pretty soon with the way that this language is going, we're going to be in the Salvation Army talking to porn addicts. You know, it'll be, it'll be a weird shift if the culture goes that way. But you can't keep using a word as loaded as addict. Yeah. And expect it not to have that kind of implication. Well, it's like when a parent says to their kid, like, you know, and this always gets me, is when a parent says, you know, my kid's a porn addict, my heart breaks. You know what I mean? My heart breaks. And because I'm like, ah, oh, that just, you know, I don't know. I got to gather my thoughts of why it breaks when I hear that, but. You know, just think of a parent, if, a, if my parent walked up to me and said, you know, son, you're a porn addict, you know, I'd just be like, whoa. You know, again, it, it's like, if, and I not talk about the theology of sex, and I not talk about how God thinks of sex. He loves sex, and you know what I mean? And if I just, if I just said, you know, you, looked at, you like looking at porn, you're a porn addict. Hmm. Um, 
And again, how loaded that word would yeah, be for, it's so for an 11-year-old or 12-year-old to hear that. Yeah, or even like 17-year-old. Or a 17-year-old to be like, I'm an addict? Like, whoa. Like there's, and to have all the thoughts come up of, you know, there's tons of recovery shows and stuff right now on, on the TV. And then what's filtering through their brain right now is those recovery shows where like, I'm an addict. But when they hang out with their friends, all their friends view porn. And they're like, but... You know, they don't seem like addicts. And so the, the one or two ways they could go, they could either go the way that I went, where I'm just like, I think I'm done with the church, right? And it wasn't because someone called me an addict or anything like that, but I just went away from the church because I was like, I like hanging out with my friends who don't think that porn's weird or horrible. And they seem and to be getting by fine. They seem to be doing all right. You know, the church seems really weird. I don't think I want to hang out with the church anymore. So I became an atheist. Or they're going to stay in the church and they're going to develop huge amounts of insecurities and guilt and shame problems. Probably depression is yeah. going to be a huge factor in their life now. And no point where they get, will they be getting closer to God in any of that. You know, you're not bringing them closer to Christ when you're using language like that to your, to your son or daughter. Um, but when you, when you use the word sin, then it brings it to the real issue of like, look, like you need a relationship with God. Like this is why this sin offends him. This is why it's a sin against God to do this. Yeah, this again, is, you're dealing with theology. Then you're going into that theology, and then you're helping him be like, this is how God wants us to enjoy this. This is the right avenue. And that way, when they do get married, they're not like, oh, my gosh, I'm aroused. I'm sinning. You know, or like, oh, Or I my like gosh. sex a lot with my wife. Something's wrong with me. I'm sinning, or, right? There's something wrong. Well, we've had a lot of people like go, go that route. Where yeah. Like, oh, man, you know, I'm married now and I really like sex. Am I a sex addict? Yeah. And they're like, uh, they're like, no, man, it's fine. And they're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I've seen this more on the side of women, but it exists in men too, where a lot of girls, because of this talk, they grow up and they think like enjoying sex is sinful. Yeah. You know, where they're like, oh, my gosh, like I enjoy looking at my husband, but only men are visual, you know, and, and so that's wrong. And oh, my gosh, like I love like I get aroused in this particular instance. And and when he does this to me, it, like it feels really good. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh, like I'm I'm sick. Like there's something wrong with me. You know, women are supposed to be emotional, you know, and that's I, I shouldn't be enjoying this this much, you know, and they they got, kind of go the wrong way on that. Yeah. Where, you know, again, like if the theology is in the center of like, should the church enjoy intimacy with the bride, with the bridegroom? You know, should me as a as a Christian enjoy intimacy with Jesus? Yeah, of course. So why on earth shouldn't a man and a woman who are committed together for life enjoy and find deep and intense amounts of pleasure in intimacy with one another? Like that'd be weird, right? Mm -hmm. If that's the picture. And so that theology, it's the bedrock through which we, we view this, through which we grow in these areas. And without it, we're screwing ourselves up. And the word addiction destroys the talk of theology. It really does. I mean, you can get there, but you got to weave through the addiction part before you can get to the theology. Mm. You know, where if I'm, again, if I'm talking to a heroin addict, theology has a place there, but only after I get through the addiction part. And, but with porn, it's like, okay, well, is it a sin or is it an addiction? Is it bondage or is it an addiction? If I treat it like a sin, then I can immediately start out with, this is God. This is why he created sex. This is what he means with it. This is his purpose. This is why we should use it this way, right? And I'm immediately in theology as opposed to being like, okay, well, let's get you off of porn 
and deal with it that way, which permanently leaves a bad taste in the mouth of the person getting free from that because they're always going to look at their sexual impulses as being evil now because they've now coupled it with addiction. Yeah. Where again, with a heroin addict, I could clearly say to him, like, anytime you crave heroin, that's wrong. <laughs> right? That's, I could say that to a heroin addict. But I can't say, like, anytime you crave sexuality, wrong. You know, you look at a girl and you think she's hot, <laughs> wrong. You know, you're, you're sick, you're wrong. That, that sends, again, those mixed messages into their brain. And it's going to be tough for them to recover from that. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I think the, I have this, this weird feeling that that when the church thinks it's doing the right thing, it's really going down the wrong path. Mm. And sometimes I feel that way with with the sexual addiction world, mm. you know, and using that term so much, um, it's scary. So you know, the, the the this was all this this question that you you know was all brought up to me. This this question this girl asked, right? Can uh can you really get out of being uh, a sex addict? And yeah. we just we just went on this yeah. this long talk about yeah. addiction. Yeah. One last thing I'll say about that question as well is again if I'm if I'm dealing with a heroin addict and they're recovering and they say to me like oh Peter like you know I I fell a couple times last week to heroin like I I went back to it that's serious right if someone who is a heroin addict tells me. I used last week or I used yesterday. I need to take that really seriously, right? I can't just be like, oh, you know, everyone sins, you know, everyone falls, you know, just get back up and keep going, you know. That's a real big deal because of what that addiction does to that person and how quickly they can go down that rabbit hole. Uh, you know, I need to take that really seriously and be like, we need to start going to groups every day. We need to start doing this. We need to start doing that. Where again, it's a different thing if someone came up to me, if, if my son came up to me and said, hey, dad, you know, I, I fell to lying again yesterday. I would not treat it the same way as my son coming up to me and saying, I, I just used heroin yesterday. Right. Those are two different things. And for the church is like, OK, should I treat pornography like heroin or should I treat it like lying? You know, if my son comes up to me tomorrow and says, dad, I fell again to porn. Should I treat that as him saying, dad, I fell again to heroin? Or should I treat it as dad, I fell again to lying. Hmm. And those, the way you're going to tackle that situation is it should be anyway, vastly different. And so you determining the answer to that question in your own heart is really important. You know, when my son comes up to me and says, dad, I viewed porn again. Am I going to freak out? Am I going to treat that like, oh my gosh, he's back on the, on the wagon or whatever. You know, he fell off the wagon. It's, I, you know, we need to start from square one. You need, you know, you need to go through the days again. Is that, is that how I'm going to treat it? Or be like, look, son, like the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. Yeah. You know, he gets back up. Let's keep fighting this thing. You know, this is going to be a struggle for probably for the rest of your life because it's a struggle in my life too. And this is how I get back up. And this is how I, you know, remember the grace of God and, and going back to that theology as opposed to being like, oh my gosh. You know, you, you might be totally in it again. You know, like, let's, let's go back to the detox. Let's go back to, you know, it's, it's a very different conversation. And I hope you people listening understand that. You know, when you use that kind of terminology, the, the backlash. And I remember you saying, Bo, that when you were talking at that conference, even saying, like, hey, I still struggle, uh, people being like, oh, my gosh. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Because if I use the word porn addict and someone says, I still struggle and sometimes fall to it, then I'm like, they're still an addict. That would be like a heroin addict saying that. 
be like, yeah, I'm a heroin addict. I'm a recovering heroin addict. I still struggle and I still give in all the time. But I mean, every now and then, but I'm, I'm free. You know, you'd be like, that dude's not free. You know, he still struggles. He still gives in sometimes. That dude needs to go back to square one. You know, that's a, that's a big deal. But again, when we were talking about sin, it's like, what, is, what does Jesus say? If the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That he sets us free from the bondage of sin and death. And there's a, there's a wonderful, glorious freedom in him. And, he, and walking in that freedom doesn't mean not struggling, but it means embracing his love and mercy every day. And, and, and walking in that and being renewed in our mind and being brought closer to him every day. That's, that's what that means. Yeah, it would just be odd if someone said, uh, if you said, man, you know, I have struggled with selfishness for a long period of time. And I've struggled with that as a parent. And, um, and it's led me to make decisions out of fear and insecurity. And I've struggled, I still struggle with that. Mm. You know, if people, were, if people looked at you just like, Oh my gosh, you know, so you're addicted to blah, blah, selfishness and pride, you know, um, you got to go to a recovery group or, you know, uh, it, it would just be weird if anybody admitted any kind of vulnerability that all of a sudden we were categorized as something. I mean, um, and, and I think what you're getting at is a lot of what my wife says, man, she always says, you know, don't people try to categorize everything today. Yeah. They're always trying to put things in boxes. You know, instead of just looking at things like, hey, this is, yeah, yeah, you know, there's sexual things that are issues and there's all kinds of issues that people have. And we all just look at it through that theological lens that it's sin. Mm -hmm. And what do we do when when we're dealing with sin? What, how do we go about those things? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's the important thing. So cool podcast, um, talked a lot, a little bit about the addiction thing, um, and what was our prior talk? We talked a little bit about um, kids going back to kids school. Kids going back to school and kind of talking to students a little bit. So um, you can always check out the uh, stuff at Covenant Eyes. Again, always comb through these things. And some things are great, some things aren't so great. But they do have those two good, I think, manuals for uh, parents that want to um, look into the. In uh, issue of internet safety in their homes hmm. so covenant eyes you can go to the running light uh, um, website and just check out the resource section and then go down to books uh, the book section and you can scroll down and check that out um, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week so thanks a lot for for being a part of it we'll talk to you guys later check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series take flight and love or lust you can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.